Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have five... Five. five movies that we're going to review. Five, 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 five movies, and not a not a really a bad one in the bunch. It's August, you dicks. <laughs> we were not prepared for this. These are supposed to be shithole movies we're reviewing this month, and we have five. Not only do we have more than the usual, we have five, and they're all good. This has been. I thought I was going to have to phone it in. Yeah, I know. I thought we were just going to be snidely bitching our way through August, and instead, now we have to actually engage meaningful subjects. This is not why I signed with each up other, for. This is with each other, this with each other. So, so the five movies we're going to look at today are Pete's Dragon, Florence Foster Jenkins, Miss Sharon Jones, Little Men, and Equity. I kept thinking I was done with it. I kept, <laughs> I, I, know, I, kept I kept trying going. to finalize. And you each got one. through them on the first time. Too. I did. Hot damn. Um, and as always, we're going to rate these on a three-tiered scale, with binge it being the highest rating. Consume in moderation. Means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means life's too short for that. Miss. Hey, Jason, have you had time to do anything except watch movies this week? Oh, you would not believe the things I have had time to do this week. Wow, uh, wow. Guys, guys, you might remember from last week that I was in Michigan for a lesbian wedding this past weekend, and I did indeed dress up as B. Arthur and play laser drag tag. This is a thing that occurred, and I made it through. I was not bashed. I was scared. Uh, there were... Were you since, bashed by your friends? Since it's... Yeah, only my friends bashed me, um, which is the way it always is, and I'm comfortable with it mm-hmm. um, because I have insecurity issues. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, my friends can be terrible to me. Mm-hmm. You hear that, Rebecca? You're exploiting that. <laughs> That's deep, what makes this show it's work. It's a deep-seated problem I have. It's the oil that lubricates the machine that is yeah, the binge. Yeah, it does. Uh, so yeah, so we're at like a laser tag video game place on a Thursday night in Michigan. And surprise, surprise, the only people there are like 16-year-old boys who look like they're about to fucking shoot up a school. Uh, <laughs> so I was not excited about walking in front of them dressed like P. Arthur. And let alone um, actually <laughs> doing a laser tag course with them. Oh, uh, yeah, you we, get paired with whoever. Our group went in there with this group of boys. <laughs> And I was scared, and uh, did I did you not. Dominate? I did not enjoy watching them point guns at me and pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> not great. Not great. So you kicked their asses? Um, no, Scott did though. Really? Uh, oh yeah, Scott like won every time we played. I feel like he'd be like a sniper. He well, silent it, sniper. He's just been playing video games for so long that his like his instincts for like how to move physically in video game settings which this basically is a video game setting are very very good Mm. so um so i made it through um i got to spend the whole weekend with a lot of wonderful friends that i don't normally get to see as well as i got to meet the remaining three members of our friends at the bloodlust uh which is an excellent horror movie and tv podcast that we have sent you guys to in the past Mm -hmm. uh so the three people i hadn't met yet uh karen jamie and my new crush, Eddie, uh, married straight father of two, still my crush. <laughs> uh, sounds like your type. He is exactly my type. And, uh, and it was just a, a, a wild and, 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 dare I say, wooly weekend. Uh, <laughs> so I did all of that. I didn't get back from that until Monday night at midnight. And last night, I went and saw the uh, West Coast premiere of Showgirls the Musical here in San Francisco at the Victoria Theater. And oh my God, was it so good. Unbelievable. Uh, Beatrice Christ has outdone herself. 
and it is playing here at the Victoria in San Francisco through August 27th. And you guys, if you're local or within reasonably cheap traveling distance and you are even re remotely interested in Showgirls, I guarantee you will fucking love this musical. It blew my mind. Legit blew my mind. How long is it going on for? It's until August 27th. Oh, at, yeah, okay. At the Victoria Theater. And you can uh, find ticket information at peacheschrist.com. And like the actress, the main actress who plays Nomi, her name is April Kidwell. She's from the New York stage production of this show. Oh. And she... There, I, I, I'm, I'm a loss for words. Uh, she understands this character deeper than I knew was possible, and I wow. appreciated that. Uh, so that's what I have been managing. Well, to... quick, quick question: yeah, Would yeah. you recommend it to someone who hasn't seen Showgirls? Um, you know, that's what we were talking about last night. Afterward, I might. I think that, you know, if you have seen the movie, you are going to appreciate it like a lot more than if you haven't. Mm -hmm. Like it will be en endlessly more enjoyable if you are catching the jokes because the whole thing is basically one big inside joke about the movie okay and it's very it's incredibly well observed like the little jokes about the movie are very very well done um but you know if you haven't seen it then you'll probably just be like this play is fucking crazy um but there are also a lot of tits uh huh. yes so uh it is it is it does not shy away from nudity uh so if you look, if you like nudity in your plays, then I don't think you're going to find a play that has more nudity than Showgirls the Musical. <laughs> that's your uh, review. That's my poll quote for the poster. <laughs> so uh, that's what I've been keeping up with in between watching all these movies. Rebecca, what's up with you? Um, I've been really getting in touch with my outdoorsy side at the end of the summer. Were um, you two not speaking? Yeah. Well, we have a very um, cold relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like the outdoors. Ah, yes. So, um, but there is this place in Northern California called the Yuba River. Uh, well, there's a mm. river called the Yuba River, and the city nearby is called Nevada City. And it's just magical, and it's a lot of fun to go to, and it's uh, it's very relaxing. We did go to this beach, which is a nude beach. Mm. Um, How uncomfortable were you? Hold. Uh, <laughs> let me finish this real quick. Um, You're like, let me just fucking get through this. So, <laughs> so we've gone to this beach before, and like, it's it's kind of fifty fifty. It's a really it's a, one of the spots where you can actually like put out a tent or like something because it's, otherwise in the river it's like pretty rocky. Mm -hmm. So we like we're like oh it's, this is this is totally great. But this Saturday was the unofficial gay day <gasps> at the river. So it was. So we're trying to figure out really place it at somewhere between eighty to a hundred naked gay men. Dicks, um, dicks, 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 everywhere, dicks, everywhere, climbing around. To one point where the guy oh. was trying to climb on the rock behind oh, us, no. and he was so like, "Oh, hey, I'm sorry. Just like I don't want to put my penis in your face." Uh, I was like, "Thank you. I'll move." Did, did moving. You, did you have to see lots of like balls between legs? Um, I don't know what that means. Isn't that just how it goes? <laughs> like guys bending over and you seeing like the oh the every rear which view, way everywhere. I mean, because you're climbing and really like a rear, very rear ball shot. Oh, all the as time as far as the eye can see. Yeah, man, all sorts of climbing and like pulling yourself up in different ways. Yeah. Legs all over the place. Legs right. akimbo. <laughs> um, yes. Did you see like guys like getting it on or anything like that? Not really. There were two guys that were like making out, and that was like a little weird. But mm -hmm. um, but no, it wasn't. It wasn't uh. It was very uh, appropriate. And there were a lot of families there, too. We're just oh. like, you know, not going to move into mm -hmm. their space. Everyone was being really cool. It was very, it was very fine. So this did not strain your relationship with your wilderness side, then? You are, you're, no. you're willing to get yeah. past this and keep working at it. We can, we can make it work. I mean, but don't you have sort of a wilderness aesthetic? Like, weren't you turning a tree trunk into a table at some point or something like that? Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, in the way that you go to a place that take, <laughs> turns tree trunks on a table, and you're like, I want that tree trunk. Put it on these legs. <laughs> Not like I'm going to. I did. I did take a woodworking class, but 
But I feel like right. that's the so destruction these, of these nature. These things pile up, though. We're and really they getting into an aesthetic. a perfect segue into Pete's Dragon, here, <laughs> which is our first movie this week. It sure is. And it's very much about the outdoors and mm. the logging industry. Yes. Um, so let's get to that. Um, so Pete's Dragon uh, is an adventure of an orphaned boy named Pete and his best friend Elliot, who just so happens to be a dragon. Guess you heard about the boy. You know word travels in this town. How long has he been out there? Six years. You don't survive in a forest for six years alone. He says he wasn't alone. Now, uh, Rebecca and I watched this together. Mm -hmm. And while I could wager my own guess, I would like to hear Rebecca's input on the question of just what percentage of screen time she believed she was in tears you know it wasn't even in tears i was so embarrassed i couldn't tell if you could tell how much i was crying because it was like the i was I, trying not to shake i was trying to like do them you like breathe out really slowly so that you like get your shit together um, which of course is an audible giveaway that you are trying to get your shit together also all of the sniffling it i was, just noticed after about 10 minutes or so you stopped returning my glances when i would look at you <laughs> You would no longer look back at me. You would just sit there just redstone-faced. I should have just moved seats and let it loose because I had a headache for the next two days. You're kidding me. No, my eyes. So I'm I woke trying up to hold it in that day. much? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like when you don't blow your nose when you're crying and you just get like a really compacted head. I think that's what they call it. So you, had, you had compacted tears. I did. Compacted um, tears. I woke the up the next day. Story. My eyes were puffy like I had gone through a breakup. I was like, oh, God, someone's going to ask me, like, what's wrong at work? And I'm going to be like, Disney movie. Right. You're like, there's this dragon. See? Uh, you're like, no, don't get me started. I'll start up again. I'm picturing you waking up the next morning with your like, eyes hanging your sockets. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> Go collect the cats are playing with them. Just knocking them around. Um, yeah, you, uh, I mean, it was, I was surprised that you cried as much as you did. So am I. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't think at all going into it. And then like a moment, the moment it started, I was like, oh, it's going to be boy and his pet. It's going to have an arc. Fuck. I'm in for it. I did not prepare for this. So I probably cried about 25% okay. 25% but like hard cry yeah that was a full on sob like you were never not crying in some way during the movie there right, was 25% right. where you were actually full on full body heaving right exactly but apparently trying to hold it in and creating a lot of buildup in your tear ducts <laughs> um, don't do that so give yourself like a UTI in your tear ducts is that how that works <laughs> yes I <laughs> yeah. think yeah um, so yeah this movie it starts off heavy I mean, this movie yeah. is not a light Disney movie at all. No. It is very tough the whole way through. It is. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's tough, but it's really sad. Yeah. Yes, like it yes. has a sadness that it, even when something not necessarily sad is happening, there's this undercurrent of sadness that mm -hmm. really tugs at you. It really does. Um, there's, I mean, again, you know, there's the boy and his, his dragon dynamic, but like right off the bat, it starts off um, where this kid goes through a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't see that coming at all. Like, yeah. I'm just, I don't know, maybe because I was like, oh, it's a Disney movie, um, was not expecting like the severity right. of the tragedy. And when I see that kind of, and I, I think we can say what it is, since it's literally the first minute of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so the reason that the boy has been living in the woods and has this dragon friend is that he's in a car accident where his parents are killed. In 
in front and of he, him. And he's four years old at the time. And so then he's just left on his own. He crawls out of the car and goes into the woods and meets this dragon who he names Elliot. And uh, so, yeah. So and I, I have, I feel like the killing off the parents trope is, it's the point where it's very aggravating to me having to watch that in movie after movie after movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I was kind of set up to be like, oh, fuck this movie. Like, it's already starting with killing the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that it does that scene is very... What I what I appreciate is that they did not do... Um, I actually braced myself. Because when you see, like, a front seat film from a certain mm-hmm. angle, and mm-hmm. you see, like, the mom looking back, smiling, you're like, oh, they're gonna die! So I was, like, bracing myself. I'm like, oh, shit, they're gonna get killed. Um, but I appreciate that what happened was not that like a huge fucking like 14 wheeler came barreling out of nowhere right. and like made you go, um, you know, so it wasn't that. And I appreciate the artfulness in which they show the impact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and even like the, you know, the symbol of like his life being turned upside down, mm-hmm. you know, literally and figuratively. But then once he wandered into the woods, this first scene of him meeting the dragon was just on so on this the, the emotions just kicked in and it's all mostly wordless yeah uh it's just the way it's just the tone of the movie that's so poignant mm-hmm. i don't know like how they managed to to do that um so you know so credit to the director his name is actually david lowry and his last movie before this was like this indie crime drama called ain't them body saints Hmm. I don't Have know if you saw it. it? With, no, it, it has Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. No. This was a movie that was a Sundance like three years ago, and that was his last movie. And then, and then this. So, and that movie was 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 kind of acclaimed for its its Malicky, uh, you know, silence. So, uh, you mean Terrence Malick like Terrence Malick like <laughs> silence and uh, and 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 sort of you know visual uh, uh, poetry. So, uh, you know, so he brought that same kind of silence and visual poetry to this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and damn it if it isn't effective emotionally. I, I mean, I was very, guys, I don't cry. I cry maybe once every two years and only when I'm very tired. And like, <laughs> I was as close as I've been in a long time mm-hmm. during this movie. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it's so physical. Like, And, and you know, this is the dragon is CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the relationship that's built between the, do- the dog... The dragon has very dog-like <laughs> qualities. We'll get to that in a moment. But between the boy and the dragon, is it's it's so physical and it's it's wordless. and yeah. But it's so warm and it's so easy to understand. And like, yeah. even there's a point when, when so the boy ends up, you know, things happen and he ends up... Uh, being taken back to civilization and his vocabulary is very limited mm-hmm. um, but his acting and the way he does things wordlessly he has this like wordless scream at one point where he's just so far removed from what he knows and loves mm-hmm. it's so just it just gets you right in the gut yeah punches was, you right in the gut I was reminded of Jacob Tremblay in Room yeah I mean this was, was a little bit it's room. very roomy it's like reverse room it's roomy meets BFG Right. But like the best parts of those, right? And there was no best part of BFG, right? But uh, but yeah, no, I mean it's it, it does have that kind of it, it is very much like room in the same you know we have this boy who's around the same age mm-hmm. who kind of looks similar at least. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's a lot like twice the age of the kid in room is supposed to be, um, because he's supposed to be ten. It turns oh right, out. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, he just has that same kind of vibe of like okay, here's this kid who hasn't really been civilized or socialized, and now he is being dragged out of his comfort, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, even though from the outside his comfort was 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 unthinkable, right? Dangerous. Yeah, and uh, so he's being put into a place where you know it's better for him, but he doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least in room, he had his mother, right? Um, 
and Although here she kind of spirals not sure. long after that and then he has no comfort at all right um but here it's like this boy knows nobody but the dragon right yes. um, and then is forced to like you know yeah. live in this family structure and like be in a civilized town and 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 be talked to by the police and yeah. Um, so yeah, so the boy does an amazing job, mm-hmm. um, which I think carries a lot of that emotion yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie wasn't really set up to be that successful, right? It's a remake of kind of a, it's a, it was an it's animated, what, half animated movie from the seventies. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of Disney's like lesser, um, um, films no, that's, uh, that's better remembered for its, uh, original songs than it is for anything about the movie itself. Snow Emperor's New Groove. It's New Emperor's New Groove. No, it's just this weird, kitschy, you know, 70s Disney movie starring, like, Scatman Crothers or some shit. <laughs> so, uh, it's, yeah, this is, this is not, you know, th- this is taking, uh, quite a bit of, of, of artistic liberty, um, mm. <laughs> with the material. And clearly Disney, I mean, I, I have to like give hats off to them because they obviously really trusted David Lowery mm-hmm. with this material. Yeah. Um, because this is, this feels like the work of an auteur. This feels like mm-hmm. he really puts his his fingerprints on this movie um, in terms of his aesthetic, in terms of what he's about as a filmmaker, in terms of his tones. Like he's all over this. It's very understated. Incredibly. Um, and a lot of it relies on just like beautiful nature scenery mm-hmm. and, and the great acting of... Yeah. We have Bryce uh, Dallas Howard, mm-hmm. uh, and we have Robert Redford. Yeah, and I can't think of his name. The guy from American Beauty. Um. Oh yeah, Wes Bentley. Wes Bentley. I used mm-hmm. to have the biggest crush on him. Oh, me too. I still kind of do, I guess. He's still very handsome. Yeah, I mean, I for, on on the last season of American Horror Story, he was naked a lot. So that, oh, really? that definitely rubbed rubbed the engine uh, for old for old <laughs> Bentley there. Um, but yeah, so Bryce Dallas Howard stars here as uh, a park ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of seems like it's going to be the same character as Jurassic Park, um, especially when you meet Robert Redford, who has this like mystical, um, old sage, wise man feel to him. Yeah, I could feel I could feel your your hackles rise uh, in a scene early in the film with Robert Redford. Uh, yeah, where he is like, my daughter can't oh, yeah. see anything unless it's right in front of her face. I just thought it was funny that he was like just throwing eggs at his daughter in front of all these <laughs> kids. Just nagging his daughter in front of like an assemblage of children. <laughs> That's true. Uh, that was weird. You're like, oh, it takes me back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So it seems at first like they're saying, poor Bryce Dallas Howard um, ha- over the last few years has not had a lot of luck not being cast as like the bitch or mm-hmm. the enemy. Um, or the woman who's like woefully out of touch with humanity and decency. <laughs> um, she kind of keeps getting that role. Um, and it seems like that's going to be the way it is here at mm-hmm. first, just because she does not believe in the dragon. And her father does. Robert Redford does believe in the dragon. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, dad. And, um, but she's still a sympathetic character because mm-hmm. she's like a park ranger and she's there trying to protect the trees and she's at war with uh, the, the loggers, even though her husband is like their head or something. Fiance, yeah. He's like one of the co-owners of the logging company. Yeah, so. so there's definitely that strong um, uh, other story going on between mm-hmm. like preserving nature right. and the so logging business. Right, we have business. that subtext. Mm-hmm. I'd also say there's this pretty strong subtext here about um, just uh, endangered species. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, that we have, uh, because, you know, things, and, and as things began to progress in terms of everyone, you know, going after the dragon, um, you know, it really seems to turn into something where, uh, you know, it's just about the, the human need to kind of remove animals from their natural habitats and put them on display mm-hmm. rather than um, allow them to flourish and thrive and be independent. 
so yeah, so it definitely has that kind of um, you know uh, that ecological uh, narrative mm-hmm. uh, underneath the uh, the more obvious narrative. Right. Yeah. So I felt like in that way it was very responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no. Definitely. Remind me of the Jungle Book. Um, for mm-hmm. this year in that way. Although I would say I like this better. Yeah. I like this better than that movie. So um, I thought I was going to go into Jungle Book territory when he first kind of gets when he first before he meets the dragon he first gets in the car accident. He encounters like a bear, and the bear is about to like enforce his way, mm-hmm. about to to really attack this kid. And then um, I thought it was going to turn into this thing where like the bear was going to talk, and it was going to do like a oh, jungle yeah. book sort of uh-huh. thing. But there's none of that. There's none of that. No, no talking animals. Then the dragon appears. Um, so the dragon, who is um, main part of the story, what were your thoughts yeah. on? What were your thoughts on the CGI? Big green dragon. I enjoyed the the way that they, as we're talking about here, the dragon does not speak. None, none of the none of the non-humans in this film speak. Um, the dragon has quite a bit of sound effects that all yeah. sound <laughs> not unlike how I imagine Alec Baldwin sounds when he's sleeping. <laughs> I'm not convinced that they didn't actually just mic him one night and then just like get a whole just eight hours worth of like, <clears throat> and uh, and then just like throw that down on the on the track. I thought it sounded like a flooded car engine. Exactly. Okay, there we go. And uh, so the thing about this dragon is that he's a, he's a clumsy goof. He is a clumsy goof. <laughs> he's he's a, like not that good at being a dragon. No, he's pretty terrible at it. He's just the, for a dragon who apparently has been there for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not gotten super graceful. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he's just like a clumsy puppy dragon. Yeah, he's very dog-like. Very dog-like. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's part of what makes him so endearing. Mm-hmm. And they really, they could have gone overboard with trying to make him too cute mm-hmm. or too vulnerable. But I feel like they really kept it in check and they never went overboard. Um, you know, like there, there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's done well. It's done um, with restraint. Yeah, I think that like um, still makes you cry your eyes out. It's still like <laughs> it's still like really, really cute, and you're still like, oh, my heart's being ripped out of my chest for this animated dragon. Um, I think that like if uh, for it being like a mystical creature, mm-hmm. um, it it isn't as um, like more developed emotionally or like through communication than a dog would be. It's kind of sits in the middle between. Mm-hmm. It's more than than if you were to have like a dog in this in this in this role. Yeah. Or uh, what you would expect a dog to be able to understand and kind of relate. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more than that, but not to the point where it's like a fully formed um, creature that can like really yeah. understand feelings and emotions. I mean, there's a part where he gets sad because he thinks he's been replaced. I think that's where things really became unhinged for me. That was like, <laughs> that was the turning point for right, me. That's when the floodgates like, really opened. Keep it under control to not is that that moment. I just oh. started thinking about when he tries to play those little peekaboo games with the boy. Oh my! Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> that okay. We'll get to how we'll get to how we review this later. But um, so <laughs> I'm, Rebecca I'm right. needs a take, minute. <laughs> take the reins, Jesus, Jason. Take the reins. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's really uh, okay, there. Okay. There's, you got I'm this. Back, I'm okay. back. I'm back. All right, okay. All right. So what else do I want to ask you? Um, so so I feel like we're giving it pretty good reviews. Yeah. Um, where do you think this movie fell short? Well, I think the main area it fell short is that it has a villain who is very one note and clearly was just added to be a villain and to follow a very boring, obvious traditional villain arc. Mm-hmm. That I wonder if that was something that like Disney was like, no, we need a villain. This is a Disney movie. We need we you know we need a clear villain. We just can't have a story 
we can't have it actually be room right yeah um, right you know we need you know because in room the the villain is 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 uh you know is mobilized or not mobilized but is is, is taken out of the picture um pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh so uh so yeah so we have this one note villain played by carl urban and um and you know you hate him but at the same time while you're hating him you're just like this is just this is not a, this is not a person you know even though he embodies certainly you know a lot of of, of human traits that we've seen a lot more and more of um with these pictures of guys going to africa and hunting mm-hmm. endangered species um he still there's you know and yeah there's just nothing to him aside from he's just there to be a villain um, i felt like it was believable like his arc although predictable and mm-hmm. not particularly dynamic was very believable in the circumstance mm-hmm. um but yeah it didn't it just definitely definitely played the role that it was supposed to yeah yeah um what did you think about Robert Redford? I didn't think he was great. I thought that he was kind of doing this like twinkling old man thing mm-hmm. um, that he was maybe turning it up a little much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that his his voiceover narration was definitely a little like, oh, hello, didn't she ever come in there? <laughs> Sit down for an old tale that I will tell you about a boy and his dragon. Uh, like it definitely felt like a voiceover narration at like a Disney ride. Um, so I, I, I did not think that he, uh, and I get why he's there because he is Mr. You know, ecological justice. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So of course he would want to be part of this movie and that, yeah. that all makes sense. And also he could believably played Bryce Dallas Howard's father. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. So, but I did think that he was kind of a weakling performance wise. He was just kind of, he was just coming on a little too strong with his Redfordness. Um, do you think, do you think kids are going to like this movie or do you think this is something that's like, like where the wild things are, hipster, I mean, hipster parents, parents or like people who grew up watching the first one? And... Yeah. I, I, you know, it's so hard to imagine a kid liking this movie just because it's kind of a little slower, mm-hmm. it's a little quieter. Um, the picture itself is just pretty dark. Um, yeah. you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's a good, a good chunk of the movie takes place in, in, in darkness. Uh, so it's it's hard to imagine a kid really loving this movie. Now I know you said that you can't see yourself wanting to sit through this again, just yes. be, maybe just because of the, it was the toll so it took on you. For me. Yes, I mean I I just yeah I can't go through it again. Would you rather watch this again or the first act of Wiener Dog? Oh, uh, I would. Oof, I don't know. Yeah, like, I would one. kill myself. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. Um, I was trying to to get a feel of what the kids in the theater we were with were yeah. kind of saying and how right. they kind of respond to movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some kind of around in the middle, like, what's going on? Or like, why is he doing that? Right. A little bit of that. And then mm-hmm. when the movie was over, I just tried to run out of the theater without giving back the 3D glasses <laughs> so I could hide my eyes. So I couldn't quite tell what the kids were saying at that she point. She ran right into a wall. <laughs> But yeah, I would I would maybe if you were like an older teen, um, 12, 13, 14, you might. But, but that's the age when you're like, I don't want to watch kids' movies anymore. I guess I don't know kids. What's that age? I know we're like just guessing, guys. We un- are childless thirty somethings, and we're doing our best <laughs> to guess what a child would like or not like. Before things become before boy bands, but after right. Um, so maybe like I seven mean, or eight. I feel like when you're a kid, you know, you also are not super critical of what's in front of you. You just mm-hmm. kind of watch it and you're not even consciously aware of having an opinion yet. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so so if you're that kind of dumb kid age, then you'll <laughs> love Pete's Dragon. Oh, one thing I felt that wasn't necessary is that we saw this movie in 3D. Oh, yeah. Um, it didn't do anything. It didn't do much. Not a thing. Um, unnecessary. Yeah. Oh, and you know me. I mean, like, I think it's like 99% of the time it's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it certainly didn't add much, especially because the movie's already so dark and 3D tends to have a darkening effect on color as it is. Mm, yeah, So, yeah. So this it, is, if you can see it in 2D, see it in 2D. There's a bit of a separation there that it, that it builds between you and and I feel like that the closeness is really yeah. This is a part really, of the key. This is of this an intimate movie. exactly. Mm-hmm. This is such an intimate movie, and this is just an add layer, uh, which is unnecessary. Um. So, ratings time. Yeah. Is here. Um. I'm gonna go with binge it. I'm gonna go with binge, binge it, it too. Once. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you if you have a if you got a UTI in your eyeballs, uh, like Rebecca did, then then you only <laughs> want to watch it once. Um. But yeah, I mean, I I would agree. I would say binge it. I don't know that I would be. If it was on again, I don't know that I'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know that I would want to watch it. I definitely want it. other people to see this. It's yeah. smart and it's sweet. It's good to watch. It, it definitely was movies that you should watch once because it really is good. It's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, for a Disney live action movie coming out in August, who would have ever expected such a such an artful, under, understated, poetic uh, movie about, about Pete's Dragon, of all things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Pete's Dragon it is out now and it's rated PG for action, peril, and brief language. We're on to movie number two. Movie number two is Florence Foster Jenkins. This is the story of Florence Foster Jenkins, a New York heiress who dreamed of becoming an opera singer despite having a terrible singing voice. Music is important. It should not be marked. She has done more for the musical life of this city than anyone, and that includes you. 3,000 people. They need joy. They need music. I'm afraid. Madam Florence, you must go on. This is what we live for, isn't it? This moment. It's going very, very, very well. Um, maybe I'm crazy, but yeah. we've seen this movie before. We did. It was called Marguerite. <laughs> <laughs> it was called Marguerite, and we reviewed it a few months ago, and it was French. And you gave it a binge it, and I gave it a consume and mod. That's right. And this time, you did not bother to watch the movie. No. So <laughs> there will just be one review coming in for this one. Uh, so it's two different languages, two different casts, same general story. What are the pros and cons? Yeah, the unusual thing here is that, uh, you know, the you would think that the French version would be like the true version. The American one would be like the bastardized remake. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though Marguerite came first, um, uh, the story that Flo Foss Jen tells uh, is is the true story because uh, she was an American socialite. Uh, so Marguerite took this actual American story and Frenchified it. Ugh. Uh, so I, I have nothing. <laughs> You're like, that sounds awful. You're like, I, <laughs> sounds like something I don't care about. Uh, Marguerite uh, was a really, you know. Uh, was a really beautiful film and it had a great performance and it was just more French in the sense it was more nuanced. Mm, yeah, um, this one seems quite... Th- it goes bigger. Big, it, it goes yeah. bigger. Um, so, but I mean, there's room in the world for both of these movies. There's, there's room in the world for both performances, although I would say that Marguerite is is, is, is the superior of the two films. Um, but Flo Foss Jen is the one you can take mom to. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have Meryl Streep here. Yeah. Um, and she is a socialite. Uh, she's an opera singer. She's a hot mess. This movie was made for you. 
For the gays. For the gays. Yeah. That's what I meant. I, you speak for all of the gays. I mean, you know, we, we, love a, we love a delusional socialite. That's why we watch The Real Housewives. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and there's the factor of her, like you said, you know, not thinking she's an opera singer, but not being able to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a, a, one of Meryl's draggier late career uh, <laughs> roles. Um, but with that said, the movie is not really making fun of her. The movie actually is very reverent toward this woman. It's a, it's a true story. Um, it really uh, it treats her, her love and passion for opera, for music. She was a patron of the arts. Um, it treats it as a very, very pure and unassailable thing. And rather than showing her as being uh, this, this, you know, like, oh, this, this rich woman who's out of touch, um, you know, she's seen as sort of almost like a, you know, like a kept, you know, in a bird cage, you know, a, a, a thing with feathers. Is that right? No. Um, so it, she, you know, she's kind of a victim of her of her surrounding. She has her husband uh, who's kind of, you know, trying to keep her isolated from the from reality. And, you know, so she has a system around her that's making her uh, as out of touch as she is mm-hmm. and keeping her from knowing the truth and just kind of like taking that choice away from her as to how engaged to be with reality. So all she has in her little like, you know, cloistered cage, gilded cage, that's there what I was is. trying to find. All she has in her gilded cage is her love of the arts, her love of opera. And so, yeah, this film treats that as a, as a borderline heroic pursuit that she has and does not is not really um, jokey about it. In Marguerite, it was almost like they were taking advantage of her. Of her, and here it seems like um, she's inspirational. Yeah, she's 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 inspirational. Um, and there's the people who laugh at her are viewed as very bad people. Mm. Um, and the husband is not quite. The husband's a bit more sympathetic in this than he mm-hmm. was in Marguerite. Uh, so yeah, so it, I would say that it definitely wants it to be a lot more palatable, and so it definitely gives you plenty of Meryl squawking off key scenes. That you're allowed to titter at, um, but then there's like a line it draws in the sand, and when it's not okay to laugh at that anymore, and now mm-hmm. and now that she, now she becomes like a tragic heroine because she is very sick and and very living a very rarefied existence. And her husband is played by Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant and Meryl Streep as a couple. I know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Hugh Grant has not aged well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out uh, it, it makes me think of that line in Love Actually, where he is playing the prime minister and he says that every year he turns more and more into his aunt Mildred. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened. <laughs> he is now all Mildred all the time. Oh, all day. All day. So, uh, yeah, he. it's actually, it doesn't look nearly as, as absurd as you might think, uh, given their age difference, because uh, he looks like hell. Uh, <laughs> God. <laughs> um, you also have the guy from the Big Bang Theory. That's a strange... Simon Halberd. Strange. He's like the little one, right? Um, he is, yeah, I guess you could say the little one. I think he's like, I've never watched this show a day in my life, but I think he is with... Um, he is not with Mayim Bialik. He's with, who's the other? Oh, he's with Melissa Rauch on the show, I believe. Oh, okay. Maybe. I don't know. I've never seen the show okay. either. I was just researching it for work the other day. So I'm like vaguely more conversant than usual in Big Bang Theory. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, when I saw that he was in this movie, I was like, that guy? Um, I believe he was also once in um, a Paris Hilton movie called, was it The Hottie and the Naughty? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but he's actually like really adorable in this movie. Like, there were moments in the first act where I was like, he could get a supporting actor nomination out of this movie. Really? He's not, he's not careful. Um, but then, as the movie went on, I was like, okay, he kind of actually has the same like handful of like expressive expression tricks. He just kind of mm. keep bringing out every now and then. But it's it made me fall in love with him. I was like googling him. I was like, is he married? Like, I was oh, like, wow. I, he was very very cute in this movie, and just like 
you know, he's like, he's her gay accompanist. Who doesn't love uh, the relationship between like a delusional diva and her gay accompanist? Uh, that's that. Think of a few. I want every movie to be about this. <laughs> um, well, how does he? How could? How good does he hold his own in a scene with Meryl Streep? Surprisingly well. Yeah, I mean, she she's not. Uh, you know, since she's playing a woman who is meant to be um, kind of being somewhat victimized and somewhat weaker. Um, you know, she does not overwhelm her scene partners. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. So I mean, Simon Helberg is doing a very sort of like you know low key nerdy performance, and she um, does not overwhelm that. Um, and maybe that's part of credit to the director, who is Stephen Frears. Yep. Um, who used to direct movies like Dangerous Liaisons and The Grifters. Yeah. But now is doing more like Philomena and the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where does it sit in that? Crazy spectrum. Want to take a guess? <laughs> <laughs> to more towards the queen. Yes. I yeah. mean, to be clear, I love Philomena. I thought that movie was wonderful. The queen's fine. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely this is just like a this is just like a middle brow art movie that mm-hmm. you can take mom or grandma or auntie to. Um, this is this is not uh, great work. Uh, this is this is yeah. This is just it's very it's painted in broad strokes, um, and uh, you know it's it's a trifle. It's a trifle. <laughs> So does that mean Meryl's not going to be back in the awards conversation for it this? It does not mean that. Uh, I mm. think that, I mean, they, they gave her last year off and that's all she gets. <laughs> uh, so she, I mean, she, she's very good in this film. She's very good. Uh, so, you know, she, it, even though it's, it's a, it's a bigger performance than the one in Marguerite, um, it's, it's still very impacting. So, I mean, if that woman could pull a nomination out of like Julie and Julia, I think that mm, she can yeah. pull a nomination out of Flo Fast Jen. At the very least in the comedy musical category of the Globes, um, if not the Oscars, but... If we have another shitty best actress here, like we've been having the last couple, then she Ooh, will not. Watch out, Brie Larson. She, she will not have to fight off uh, very many people to get in. Brie Larson, enemy of the show. <laughs> Remember that? I forgot about that. Yes, I forgot. And now why. we'll never get her again. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's why. Yeah. Um, what do you give in this one? Um, I'm gonna say consume moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it's not offensively bad. Um, it's just kind of like yeah, like I said, it's like a trifle. It's just like a trifle middle brow art movie. A take trifle. A trifle. Uh, take mom. <laughs> okay. So when you take mom, just keep in mind that this movie is rated PG-13 for brief suggestive material. Yeah. Uh, movie number three. Whew. I'm almost halfway there. <laughs> I know. And now these next ones are going to be the tough ones. I know. Uh, we have Miss Sharon Jones. As Sharon Jones struggles to find her health and voice again after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, we encounter the mind and spirit of a wonderful woman determined to regain the successful singing career that eluded her. 50 years. It was tough. They said I was too fat, too black, too short, and too old. And look at me now. All this hard work is finally paying off. Something was clearly wrong. Her eyes were yellow. She was losing weight, and the doctor said, it's cancer. She might not come back. Are you a fan of Sharon Jones and the Kings? I am. I am a fan of Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Um, I have to say, it took me longer to see them live than it probably should have. Mm. Because this is a band, guys, if you have not seen them live, then... I haven't. You, then, well, then, Rebecca, I'm speaking to you. Mm-hmm. You haven't lived. Uh, they, are one, they are one of those bands that are just one of the all-time great live acts. Like, it's... Like it's, Fish. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> With a PH. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, they put on one of the most, like, 
energetic explosive live shows you'll ever see like it is just such a fucking dance party Mm -hmm. um they bring people on stage like to dance like it and she is such a force of nature Mm -hmm. um so yeah they they are tremendous tremendous live and i've actually i saw them after she had been through um the bout with cancer that is discussed in this movie and so she was up there with her, with her, you know, with her beautiful bald head and just rocking her ass off. And uh, it was inspiring. Uh, and, you know, she is, she is not slowed down. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm a fan. Um, would you say you're a fan? Uh, I am a fan. Um, I definitely followed this, her story through mm-hmm. music blogs and, and the news um, and have listened to her music, but I've not seen her live, which yeah. this movie, one of the things that I pulled off out of it before you told me to see it was that <laughs> I need you to tell me shit, de- <laughs> <laughs> but then it's, it's definitely an experience. Um, it's definitely an experience to see. Yeah. Um, so this movie kind of reminded me of, uh, we just recently had a, a musical documentary called Breaking a Monster that, um, sort of showed a little bit more about the music industry than you mm-hmm. care to know. And this movie is. Um, about that sort of class of musician that is yeah. between your friend that you know plays a show every once in a while and like the big hits that we right. are used to hearing. That's very true. And I think that what's interesting with this one is that unlike the kids in Breaking a Monster, Sharon Jones is like a super established artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we see that like however huge they are to us, however much she's a household name for like, uh, people who know her, uh, which is a pretty decent chunk of people. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, she still like doesn't have a lot of money, no. and still is scrounging to get you know people together to record a session to get uh, someone to pay for it. Um, you know, like it, it was depressing in that sense. Like I was more depressed by that than mm-hmm. by the cancer. Yeah, uh, because you know, like cancer is just like you know what you can't argue with it. But this felt like injustice. Yeah, absolutely, and. I mean, she's been on all the late night TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she's definitely famous, right? Um, but yeah, and the, the just like the guys in her band and the Dap yeah. Kings talking right. about like making How your living to, as yeah. that is not a job um, that's cushy at all. No, no, yeah, it was really, uh, <clears throat> it was it was jarring. But if uh, they're it not was playing very, shows, very they don't sobering. have money. No, exactly, and and so that's part of the very like complex picture that this paints of of Sharon's uh, struggle with cancer. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just about her struggling with her health. It's about the impact it has on those who depend on her for their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And we see her taking that upon herself. Like she knows um, the impact it has on everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so it really is about that, that sense of a family that she has mm-hmm. with the band. Yeah. There was a, there's like a particular point where she wants to have like a dinner with them and how close they are to mm-hmm. her and how she, how they yeah. are her family. This movie um, is given a, a lot of access to them. Mm-hmm. I, it's not yeah. at all. There's not a point where it's like, oh, there's like, you know, petty small talk happening between right. them. It's all these like <laughs> no. very real moments of them struggling with money, yeah. showing appreciation for each other, um, struggling with what it's like to have to go on tour or having cancer and like seeing her backstory. I felt this movie was very, very warm yeah, um, and very inviting. And she yeah. just really seems like a wonderful character. I mean, this movie is about falling in love with Sharon Jones. That's what it is. Like, that's really what you take away from mm-hmm. this. Like, just because you see her at her worst mm-hmm. in this movie. And her at her worst is still so beautiful and so inspiring. Delightful. Yeah. And delightful. And, you know, so it's not like we're not, she's not a saint. You know, it shows her having moments of, 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 of anger or frustration, snapping at people, mm-hmm. um, getting fed up, uh, you know, but like she's just, just, delightful mm-hmm. 
in love with her. You will walk out of this in love with her. Uh, like this, we we watch her be put through just the worst kinds of of, of medical torment a person can go through. And um and and throughout it, you're just infatuated. You're just smitten with this amazing woman. Mm-hmm. Um and not in and not in any way, not in an annoying way, not like oh Sharon Jones, she's perfect even when she's down. No, like, no, no, no. No, like in a very human, in a very you're just like this is a flesh and blood woman, um and she has lived a hell of a life. Yeah, and this movie isn't like produced in a way, no. in a, in a big way that like sets you up for things. No, it seems very like. Um, like a tag along documentary style, yeah, right, right, right. Um, but you know they wrap up the story well. Um, mm-hmm. It has like a pretty good time frame. Um, I should note that it's directed by a two-time Oscar-winning uh, documentary filmmaker oh. named uh, Barbara Koppel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this is this is this is no slouch. Uh, this is this is this is a woman. <laughs> she also, in terms of music docs, she made the Dixie Chicks "Shut Up and Sing" documentary. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I should see that. That's a very good film. Very topical. Uh, when we were sort of talking a little bit about this movie before the podcast, I, I was like, oh, it's, you know, it doesn't seem that well produced. But then as I was sort of finishing my thought, it was that it didn't look like it was produced at all. Right. Which is just a testament to how mm-hmm. how easy and comfortable right. how, they make it how look. How sort of verite it is. Right. And like what how much harder that is to make something look like it's it hasn't been edited Exactly. Or when in actuality, it's like God knows how many hundreds of hours of footage all being patched together to try to form a narrative. Right. Just, uh, just videos of Sharon Jones running people over. Exactly right. All this, all the kind of room the bird floor. to exactly. the whole Dab Kings. Exactly, <laughs> just smacking children in public. Uh, there's one scene in particular. So I've not seen this movie since last September at Toronto, Jesus. and and uh, and I remember it was like a nighttime screening. It's a press and industry screening, so it was like a, you know, it was just people who were like critics and buyers and things like that. And um, and these are not these screens are always very quiet. They're very very like remote. Everyone's just sitting there thinking about what they're going to write about or if they want to make an offer on it. And uh, it's not like movie fans per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like when you go to one of the big public ones where everyone's just reacting really hugely to every beat. But this movie worked people up into such an emotional frenzy in that oh, wow. theater. Like there was clapping, there was cheering. That scene where she goes to the church. Oh, that was awesome. Oh. That that scene was great. Oh my god! Um, so this is this is this is probably one of the best music uh, documentaries I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and you know it does it the right way because you know it's not a cradle to the grave, you know documentary. No. It's about a very specific chapter in her life, mm-hmm. and um, and it tells the story um, with with just grace and integrity. Yeah. Um, we have sort of been on the fence about whether or not this was going to be the pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Uh, I'll agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I love this movie. Um, I think it's, it's gotten less press than our other candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Miss Sharon Jones is our pick of the week. We both say binge it. Um, and uh, I, I believe you might be able to get it on iTunes. Um, so look into that. <laughs> um, if not, then uh, look for it in your local theater. Uh, and it's not rated, but we'll probably get a PG-13 for language and some thematic content. Yes. Uh, movie number four. We're almost there. We're getting there. Uh, is Little Men. It's going to get messy now. (laughs) Two teens develop a growing friendship in Brooklyn while the feud between their respective parents continues to escalate. Our parents are involved in a business matter. It's getting ugly, so they're taking it out of us. Tony, you need to go home now. One of the hardest things to realize when you're a child is that your parents are people too. You understand that? They care about things. They make mistakes. They try to do what they think is the right thing to do. Does any of what I'm saying make any sense to you? Say something, Jake. Say something! Gee, thanks, Dad. That's a very encouraging story. 
So this movie takes on an issue near and dear to our hearts um, here in San Francisco. Um, it's come to define the city over the last five years, at least, um, gentrification. Mm-hmm. And it gives it a human face, a family. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have here, we have a story about, it, it gives us an actual, like, here are the people involved in one such scenario. Mm-hmm. On the one side, we have this kind of upper middle class Manhattan family. Mom's a therapist. Dad is an actor. Um, one child. And uh, the uh, Greg Kinnear plays the father. His father uh, passes away. He'd owned a building in Brooklyn. And on the ground floor of the building was a little dress shop that uh, that is owned by, uh, by a Latina woman. And so the family decides that to save money and to make more money, they're going to get out of their Manhattan apartment and move into the place in Brooklyn. And um, and then uh, gradually they start to uh, they start to get a sense that they might have to evict um, the dress shop and the woman in that dress shop because uh, she is uh, her, her the, the, the grandfather had been charging her a very low sum of money mm-hmm. uh, because they'd been in the same building together for a long time. And um, but so but that's all kind of backdrop to this friendship that springs up between the son of Greg Kinnear and his wife, Jennifer Ely. And then the son of the woman who owns the dress shop. Uh, so, and we watch these two boys make this uh, this really kind of just instant connection mm-hmm. um, while this the stage is being set for this conflict between their parents. I, how did you feel it was in terms of being sympathetic to the um, to Greg Kinnear's family, the interlopers? Right, the interlopers. Um, I mean, I didn't think that it was. Um, I didn't think that it was especially. I think it was trying to be a very even-handed movie. It was not a movie that it's not a movie that's interested in demonizing one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's not saying that these are bad people. Like we understand where they're coming from. Um, we see that like they're like, okay, well, this just makes more sense for our family. And you know, they have those kinds of little the remarks. They don't realize they're condescending. Like uh, right. when the son's like, oh, it's so much quieter here. We have so much more space. space yeah. Uh, there's also the scene whenever Jennifer Ely first meets someone in the shop and is like, oh no, Mondays are just for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the woman just looks at her like, "How nice for you." Yeah, I mean, I, there's that, and there's the whole fact that like Greg Kinnear is doesn't make any money as an actor, but he's right. an actor. Exactly, um, it seems like such a frivolous uh, occupation compared yeah. to this woman who's like exactly. slaving to make dresses to support her family. We have a lot of unexamined privilege um, yes. on yeah. the part of the white family in this movie. Um, but the boys become friends, mm-hmm. um, instant friends, um, and. And the the situation with their family is, is tearing them apart. They they are able to maintain their friendship through most of it, and then it kind of comes to a head, um, almost like would you say like a, a Romeo and Juliet story? Yeah, that's that's mainly what I was thinking of when I was watching this because you know it's just about like a you know a really sort of like passionate relationship between these two young people um, who each come from uh, you know a family that's at war with the other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, we see, I can't think of anything else other than Romeo and Juliet off the top of my head where you, you're just watching this young relationship be kind of torn apart. Right. Um, and the, you know, these, these two young people just being really uncomprehending, like why, but why though? You know, I don't understand. Like, you know, what's, what's the problem? Just Mm -hmm. do this, just do that. And bringing their kinds of, you know, the kind of like child's view of what right and wrong is to the situation that is very complicated or is it? Right. You know, or right. or do the kids really have, you know, the answer? Not that the movie is, is any way that, that um trite no. to be like, just listen to the children. Right, 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 um, right. Yeah, it's it's not that. Um this is definitely this is a movie that's in, in all shades of grey and that's where it wants to stay. Um it's a movie by Ira Sachs mm-hmm. and his last movie, Love is Strange, was also about the impact 
um, New York housing drama has on vulnerable people. Yes. Um, yes. How do you think this compares? Uh, they're definitely of a piece with each other. Love is Strange was about uh, an older gay couple played by John Lithgow and Alfred Molina mm-hmm. uh, who uh, who lose their um, their co-op they've lived in for a really long time and then have to each move, they have to separate mm-hmm. um, because they can't find new housing. And so one has moved in with his family, wants to move in with friends, and it's just heartbreaking. Um, this is nowhere near as devastating as that film was. Um, that's another one that almost gets me crying. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting that Iris Axe has now made two consecutive movies um, that mm-hmm. are about these people whose, you know, whose sort of human lives are playing out against the backdrop of things about housing that they can't quite control. And two consecutive movies with Alfred Molina. Yes. Yes. Loves that Molina. Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, so the biggest takeaway from this movie for me was um, Michael Bibieri, who mm-hmm. plays uh, one of the boys. Tony. Tony. Um, he is just a force. He's a Dickens. He... <laughs> a little Dickens. He's he's amazing. He's he a star. Is. He... He's so full of energy. Um, he's so uh, it's so easy to be warm to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's already been cast in like a Spider Man thing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like as Spider Man? Um, no, because they they just cast a new Spider Man. Oh, right, like some some young yeah, British who, kid. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he is going to be in the movies though. Uh, probably as like you know the the best friend, the wisecracking best friend of Spider Man or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't you see him playing that? Absolutely. Yeah, no, he has so much natural charisma, mm-hmm. and you know, and he's doing such a different kind of performance than. And the other boy is also amazing, mm-hmm. but does much more of a, of a of a controlled inner life ca- character. Right. The boys are very opposite. Yeah, they're very. It's very much an opposite track kind of friendship. Uh, but no, this this kid. Even though I was wondering, cause I feel like I think this kid's Italian. And His name is Bibieri. Right. So yeah. And so does that? Do we feel like that? Is that a party foul? Casting an Italian kid as a as a as Latino a, character? Ha. Huh. Um. Hmm. You're like I I walk back my acclaim. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that kid. I mean, it's not, it's not his fault. Um. When they're supposed to be Chilean, I don't know. <laughs> I know you're dubious of the Chileans as it is. <laughs> you don't want to sit on this. You're like any people that produce Snooky. I'm not uh, <laughs> not ready to welcome into the tribe. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, the the two boys are very different. Yeah. Um, did you feel like, did you think this was going to go into different waters than just having a great friendship? You know, I was wondering, um, so Ira Sachs is a queer filmmaker and, um, and I didn't pick up on this at all when I was watching it, but apparently I was the only one. Um, like this, the main, the, the white boy is sort of meant to be a surrogate of sorts for Ira himself when he was younger. And so he is sort of meant to be. Iris Axis said in an interview I was just reading today that originally the kid was conceived as, as explicitly gay. Mm. Um, but then once he cast this young actor in the part that he kind of like walked that back because he just didn't want to like push that on to onto right. his actor. Um, but it's so it's still there in the DNA of this project. That's meant to be the sort of like this like, you know, inward gay kid and then this like really exuberant outgoing um, other kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it, it, and it, it did have a weirdly kind of like larry clark vibe at times for me mm-hmm. just like watching these like these like two boys and just like gangly limbs all like draped on the bed together playing video games or whatever right um so i you know it, it felt like there was some kind of subtext i was aware i was like sensing the subtext but i wasn't like quite ready if i, I wasn't sure if i was going to be like oh it's there uh but it, it yeah. what do you think i think it gets in, it, it gets to a point like there's a point where the 
the Italian, the Italian, the Chilean boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tony is is made fun of for his friends. They call Jake his girlfriend, right. and then there's this point where they talk about girls, and it, and and Tony has a crush on a girl, and Jake mm-hmm. doesn't really say anything. Right. Uh, and I think I felt like that's a very like believable friendship absolutely. at that point when absolutely. you're like not quite sure if you're gay or not for sure um like he's just sensing that he's different and this kid is just so big hearted that he just doesn't see any difference right right uh, um so yeah. yeah i felt like it it was it didn't need it it's good that it didn't go down that road because there's yes. already kind of so much going on right um but it felt like a very yeah um very relatable very mm-hmm. um understandable situation yeah i would agree um what are you going to give this movie? Well, now, Rebecca. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You yes. said you didn't like this movie. Yeah, I I found... Okay, so I I, I don't think I like Greg Kinnear. Um, okay. And I found him particularly um, annoying in this movie. I mean, did you think he was a bad actor? Or did you think you, did, you just didn't like the character? Uh Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. You, are you a big Kinnear fan? Well, no, I, I think that he was good in the movie. I mean, that's why I'm questioning. Like, you said you thought he was annoying, and you were talking earlier about, like, ah, he's an actor. He doesn't even act. You know, so, like, <laughs> so you, you already have an axe to grind against this guy just because he's an actor. Uh, so, you know, I'm just wondering what your actual issue is. Is it the character, or did you think he was actually, like, lousing, like, lousing up the movie? I, I feel like I've seen this Greg Kinnear character before. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a sort of... Um, Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, let's, you know, let's kind of be sympathetic towards this, like, white guy with dreams who, like, can't oh, quite make them this happen. this is why you're asking me about the sympathy. So you think it was overly sympathetic to him? Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that at all. I mean, I felt like there was definitely, pr- like, he had pressures and probably would have tried to let the family stay, the, this character. Uh-huh. Um, but at the end of the day, like, he doesn't really stand up for himself. He doesn't really stand up for what he thinks is right. Right. Um, Which I think is all just, like, character flaws that are written into the character. Like, that's kind of who he's meant to be as a human being. But seeing he, He's indecisive, kind of... and he can't, you know, he can't, like, make a decision. He's mm-hmm. He's feeling very... Um, I think because I saw this um, when I was in L.A. at, at LACMA and they had Iris Sachs there with Greg Kinnear and mm-hmm. with um, the kid who plays his son. And, um, and they're talking about the meaning of little men and how, you know, it's we have these, of course, these two boys who are little men. But he is. But also man. Greg Kinnear is also a little mm-hmm. man because this is kind of what, you know, he, he it kind of forces him to be a, a, a grown up and he's not ready to be a grown up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't want to have to, you know, he's just, he's never had to, had to make these kinds of tough decisions before. Right. And he'll just do anything to get out of making the decision and just wants to keep waffling and waffling and waffling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I feel like that was just intentionally part of the character. Um, so I didn't think that it was like, oh, this poor guy. I think it was just, that was just the arc that they had written for him. Um, I, I also found that just the, any scenes that weren't with the kids, I was bored with. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely one where I'm like, oh, I should pick up my phone right now. Oh, so you just didn't watch the movie. That's what it is. No, <laughs> I, I didn't pick up my phone, but I wanted to. But the, I mean, the, the kids came on with such energy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I couldn't look away. But then once it would kind of go back to Canary and his wife. That's interesting. Or, um, I, the whole, it kind of bored me. That's interesting. I mean, to me, it was like the tension was in the adult storyline. There was no tension in the boy storyline. They were just being friends. Um, and they were both, you know, and you're, it's interesting to watch them because the kid in particular that you called out, Tony, is so charming. Mm-hmm. But the parents is where the conflict is. You know, like it, it's, it turns into such like this cold war where, um, you know, the woman who owns the dress shop just decides to ignore them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the parents are trying to figure out what to do. Um, there's a meddling sister-in-law involved who is trying right. to push her way in to, you know, force this woman out. But not all conflict so, is interesting. 
Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, it's conflict. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was interesting to me, I guess is all I can say. I, I was, I was like, oh God, what are they going to do? Um, because, you, you know, you, it was, it just, it had the, the, the real, it had the stink of reality to it. It felt, it felt <laughs> like, yeah, this is how it would happen. Like, and, you know, you understand where each side is coming from and, you know, and, and you wish that something would happen that would just make the conflict go away on its own without anybody having to get hurt. But that's not reality. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so things, you know, things do have to happen where then people do get hurt and nothing, you know, and, and then it's, you know, irrevocable. Uh, so I, I felt like that was a, yeah, I thought I was, I was definitely in, in, in suspense, uh, waiting to see hmm. how this is all going to play out. Um, so what do you want to give it? Uh, this is a binge it for sure. Uh, for me. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a really, um, just, just a real sort of, um, tonic from all of the other movies and theaters this summer. This is just a beautifully written, beautifully acted little piece, um, that I think is very relevant to, uh, to situations that a lot of, uh, cities are facing. It kind of gives you a story so that when you hear gentrification, you don't just like picture news reports or, you know, or blog articles. Like you can just like think of this story that you mm-hmm. see play out in this movie and you can imagine like, here's, here's what it looks like actually happening in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no Suicide Squad, that's for sure. Mm-mm. Um, I'm gonna give it a consumer moderation. Um, I, it's it's well done. Again, um, you'll want to see the first movie these kids are in, um, or the first bigger movie these kids are in. Um, but yeah, I don't know when you have there there. We've reviewed a lot of movies this year. You know, if you are if you go see movies every week, um, you you want to know what's coming out this week. Definitely go see it. Um, if you have stuff to catch up on, catch up on the stuff that we binged last week. <laughs> the week before um but it is out now and it is rated pg for thematic elements smoking and some language we're finally to the end equity senior investment banker naomi bishop is threatened by a financial scandal and must untangle a web of corruption somebody leaked a rumor about my ipo i didn't do anything yes you did because you needed it you don't know what i need you have nothing on me do you is that a challenge you've been investigating him I can't really comment on that. Did you leak this thing? You weren't a wire. It's all just a big game to you, isn't it? What else is that? So many questions. Yeah, lots of things being raised. <laughs> like Ethics. like interest rates? Yeah. Oh, it's about it's about money. It's about money. It's about Wall Street. Money, money, money. Money, um, money, money. <laughs> Having a cabaret moment. Go on. Okay. Um so these movies, finance movies, are usually around male protagonists, like yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street, Oliver Stone's Wall Street, The Big Short. Um, but this one looks at the world from a female perspective. It does. It does. Uh, that's that's this movie's whole log line is that it's about um, about the experience of women in in the finance industry, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's 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 compelling in that way. I mean, like when you're watching it, you're like, oh yeah, I guess I never really have seen um, you know a character. Uh, like this have their own story Mm -hmm. Um, you know like when you think about those other movies that we just mentioned um, I mean can you think of any women at the office who weren't secretaries no so Mm -mm. um, you know so this is about these kinds of you know certainly the minority gender wise in the finance industry um, about the 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 double standard different struggles that women in finance have to face um, but it's not about that in a on the nose way. You know, it gives us this really juicy, um, you know, sort of suspense plot line um, about, you know, corruption and, and malfeasance. And, um, you know, so uh, and then we just kind of get to see it play out um, the, the way that this woman played by Anna Gunn, the brilliant Anna Gunn of Breaking Bad, 
um, how she uh, has to behave differently than her counterparts. So do you think that it's um, realistic in the way it portrays uh, women in this world or is it kind of more idealistic or um, or is it aspirational? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say it's a lot more, it's very realistic. This is not a movie that, uh, like for instance, the, the women in this movie are not lifting each other up. Mm. Um, they are... No one's leaning in? No, no. Sit at the they're, table? They're tearing each other down, um, which, so when I uh, I went to a screening of this where they did a, uh, a Q&A with um, the casting and, and director as well as um, some women who um, have been working in finance for like 30 years who were executives at like Morgan Stanley or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these are women who actually helped finance the movie. Oh, interesting. Um, and, um, and they were like this, they, there was a young woman in the audience who raised her hand, a, a mill, total mill, uh, millennial, uh, oh, who, uh-huh. who was like, couldn't the movie have been more uplifting and shown women lifting each other up? And they were like, sadly, like the stories that we heard and like the, hundreds of interviews we conducted for this movie is that more often than not this is an industry where women's minority status leads them to tear each other down to you know have more of a space for themselves and um so they're like that's the story you know we're we're not we're telling the story as it exists in the world not Mm -hmm. as it should exist um so and the women on the panel who who have worked in finance for decades were like this everything about this movie it just checks out um, and they said that it, 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 already, it was already ready before it came to them um, because they were like talking about they didn't want to even take the meeting to talk about financing this movie. They're like, oh, you know, we've seen this before from people who try to do this. It always comes out wrong. They never get anything right. And they said they read the screenplay and were blown away by how, huh. how on point it was um, with their experiences. And, uh, and just even generational differences between, you know, uh, Anna Gunn's character, a woman in her generation would as she is in this movie, like not have married, not have had children mm-hmm. um, because she would have felt like that would have made her look too weak in the workplace. Wow. Um, you know, as opposed to this younger woman who's kind of coming up after her in this, who is uh, pregnant. And, you know, uh, and so they were affirming that they're like, yes, they're like that. Like when she would have been coming into the business, that's exactly what she would have done. And younger women do feel now, now it's more okay for women in finance to be getting married and having children without worrying about they're going to be losing their, uh, their standing. So what about uh, as the audience? Are you supposed to feel sympathetic for the female bankers? And uh, like how, after what we think about bankers, unless you were sort of, I don't know, in the 1%, like they aren't right. very sympathetic characters, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming off of off of the big short less than a year ago, uh, you know, it does feel like sympathy for the devil in a sense, mm-hmm. um, where it's like, well, female devils have it harder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's kind of hard not to, not to think that when you're watching this movie. <laughs> Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's hard to watch without, uh, thinking about like how this industry is still very broken and very corrupt in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, it, but, you know, it shows that even within that, you know, here are how, um, you know, these women are just held to a different standard mm-hmm. and just shows you the glass ceiling and, you know, you see these, just these infuriating, oh God, there's like a tech asshole dude character oh, who it's his IPO. They're trying to like, you know, uh, to take public. And um, and he like doesn't like Anna Gunn because you know she rubs him in like a Hillary way, and oh, he'll God. only talk to like the younger one who's more flirty, and you know and they're like well that's what he wants and so they have to tell Anna Gunn like okay no more talking in meetings from you he doesn't want to hear you talking, uh you know so Oof. yeah so things like that I think it would wow. it would make your blood boil I really you know we've tried desperately to get a screener for Rebecca to see this one because I really want her to unload, <laughs> um, but unfortunately that did not pan out. Um, so as you said, it's financed by women, um, stars women, two, uh, 
of whom actually wrote it. Mm-hmm. And it was directed by a woman. Yeah. It passes the Bechdel test, does, I assume, with does, flying colors. In front of him, behind the camera. Um, does it? Does this, the movie actually feel like something that needs a story that needs to be told? I think it does. Uh, I think that, you know, we have so many conversations uh, uh, culturally, um, you know, within the last few years, especially about the ongoing um, inequalities for women in the workplace. Uh, crazy that that expression even still holds water. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are. And this shows you a very concrete example of one specific industry and what it's like for women in that industry and how it still are not equal. Um, but then also it uses it, but it sets that against the backdrop of, like I said, this just like very juicy, involving um, mm-hmm. story. Um, what are you going to rate this one? Um, I'm going to give it a, you know, fuck it. I'm going to give it a binge it. You binge know? it. All I, right. I, I am, uh, you know, I think that. I'm all about what this movie is about, and uh, it's really well acted. It's, it was a super low-budget independent movie. It looks very lush and lavish, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I, I, I really appreciated it. Uh, so I think this is uh, this is kind of one of the sleepers of August. So go seek out Equity. Awesome, and it's rated R for language, language throughout. That's it. We got through all five. Yay! Awesome, and we live to tell about it. If you guys are still listening, kudos to you. Kudos to you. And while you're at it, rate us on iTunes. Oh yeah, do that. Um, if you are on Twitter, I am at Fight Balance. Jason's at the Jason Leroy. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Bye guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.